Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, and experience from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Pussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Simon Mokeli. Simon, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Fritz. Excited to be here with you. Uh, well, same here, uh, and I'll tell the audience why when I describe where you're coming from. You're currently the president of sustainability at Time, and we're, and we're meaning Time magazine. Uh, you're responsible for the founding and launching of CO2.com, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but you also have a background in Salesforce, where you were the chief information officer, in, sorry, chief innovation officer, chief marketing officer, uh, and some other roles, uh, World Economic Forum, background in Dell, and you've been educated around the world, in France, at INSEAD, at Columbia, at London. So you've been around. I've been around, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, man. Hey, um, now, Simon, uh, I do not know where to start with, with somebody with such a big background. So let's start with the beginning. Um What's your background and um, take us in, in, through your journey. How, how did this happen? I'm on a journey where I actually, I don't even know. It's one of those winding journeys. I look over my shoulder at, my, at the path I've taken. It is particularly difficult to, to um, identify rhyme or reason in it. But I was born in England. At the age of three, I moved to Iran. We left when the revolution happened. I ended up living for 11 years in the United Arab Emirates as well. Um, but after, after university, I ended up going joining the army, British army. I was an army officer uh, for five years. Um, and then decided that that wasn't the career I wanted. Not sure what the career I did want was. Everybody told me, well, you either have to go into consulting or manage, or management consulting or investment banking. So I had my job offers from the very some of the top uh uh investment banks and management consulting companies that you might think of um and i met ross perot um okay. and yeah. he personally like persuaded me that uh i should join his organization um i did that for a bit i got a bit kind of there was a whole like thing the, the world went kind of crazy um around 2001, two, three, I ended up uh, um, doing a heads or tails flip with my girlfriend at the time for, should we live in Canada or Switzerland? Because the economist said those two places had the best quality of life. We ended up in Switzerland um, uh, and I ended up getting a job at the World Economic Forum. Okay. Uh, just, uh, did you literally flip a coin? Literally flipped a coin. N number one or number two was Canada or Switzerland. And we flipped a coin, <laughs> Switzerland won. It was like, okay, it was kind of a cool moment. Um, but yeah, we just literally did that in a, in a pub with a bottle of wine. The Abbeville pub okay. in Clapham in London was the okay. actual pub. Uh, that sounds significant that because a lot of your, so much of your future um, is determined by a flip of the coin. I honestly believe that everybody's... Uh, everybody's present and future in many ways is determined by things wildly outside of your control. Um, there's only certain things that you can control. Um, and, and so why not have some fun? <laughs> okay. So, but that means that, um, 
if you if you don't think about it, that you would have ended up in Switzerland anyway, working for the World Economic Forum, and the coin wasn't relevant. It, 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 there's yeah. many different ways of looking at this world, yeah. but you could argue that. I don't know. I mean, okay. uh, I generally believe there's certain people who are very careful about their lives and they live very specific paths and they look at every opportunity very, very carefully. And by the time they've analyzed it uh, a thousand ways from Sunday and decided, no, um, you could have easily made that decision and moved on. And Okay. So is this also uh, listening to your own gut? Is this a gut feeling you're talking about? This feels good? I think so. I think so. There's also another, I mean, the Irish always say, um, get in the way of luck, mm -hmm. um, i.e., luck will not come and find you you have to find it and so there is an argument i'm not sure i fully agree with it but there's an argument that saying yes is likely to, to everything <laughs> is likely to get you in more interesting places than saying no to everything um and uh i i've certainly found that on my journey being open to a challenge being in in outside of my comfort zone has led me to incredible opportunities to meet the most amazing people, to learn a lot faster than I would have done if I'd have remained in my comfort zone, in the city I was born, uh, and, and close to the people I know. There's some good life lessons to, for the listeners here about stepping out of your com uh, comfort zone, gut feeling. And I can imagine that uh, when you do work for the World Economic Forum, you're going to meet amazing people when you work in a place like that. Yeah. Yes, amazing people and you learn a lot from them and that's taken me uh to great places and to to know things about myself that i didn't know skills i didn't know i had um okay. i think the other thing is you're also operating in a world that's fundamentally changing and you might not necessarily see that change but others may and um and so having others who can point you in the direction of where change is gives you an opportunity to learn new things now, so you, World Economic Forum, and then you moved to Salesforce. That uh, is it, it, no, is that a linear line? Was that like it, it seems to be some kind of a crooked path, or is it? It's is, a, it was a crooked path. It was the World Economic Forum is an amazing organization, yeah. but I felt that <clears throat> at the time, in order for me to really affect greater change, I needed to have a much much. Um, deeper understanding of how business worked. And while I'd been in business a little bit, I hadn't had leadership roles. And so my intention was to go and work in the corporate sector. I ran the technology um, community for the World Economic Forum and spent a lot of time with CEOs. And the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, was um, particularly exciting person. At the time, Salesforce was two and a half thousand people growing um like his hair was on fire and but growing really with a sense of a gorilla type attitude to you know the old school incumbent industry um and it was like we could reinvent this industry to be much more dynamic and it was a very exciting organization to join that um was looking at the rules uh, and half taking them seriously and half going how do we reinvent yeah. what it means to be um you know a growth company and um, over the 14 years I was at Salesforce, Salesforce went from two and a half thousand people to 85,000 people. So I saw a lot. Wow. Uh, so that, so, but that did mean packing up your bags from Switzerland, moving to California. I believe they're head for headquarters there. Are they, are they? Yes. Yeah. It, it meant moving to San Francisco, yeah. um, where, where, um, 
my children were born and grew up and so they both speak with an american accent both american um and yeah 14 amazing years um but it was a, it was a global role spent a lot of time all over the place i started off um really at a point where salesforce was engaging with many companies um and those companies were newly acquiring CIOs, chief information officers. And the first thing a CIO would do would look at, be look at the technology spend that, that company had. And they realized that, wow, there's a lot of people using Salesforce. Yeah. Um, when, when did we have a policy on cloud computing? And whoa, that's too much cloud computing. And everybody got really fearful of cloud yeah. computing back in, in that day. So Salesforce needed to engage with those CIOs yeah. and educate them on um, the enterprise strength of cloud computing. And yeah. this was a new skill for Salesforce, but it was a new conversation in the marketplace. And so they you're needed actually, to- you're, so you were basically providing shadow IT, I guess, from a CIO perspective. Totally, it was totally shadow IT. Yeah. And, and a lot of people were like, yeah. stamp that out. <laughs> and my job was to engage with CIOs, educate them, create community, uh, build CIO councils and advisory boards and things, and really- build proximity between Salesforce and that community of CIOs so that they would feel less um, uh, ag aggressiveness against it and more uh, empathy and, and understanding. And as a result, see Salesforce as a partner. Um, and we did that. And then, um, and then uh, uh, I, re I resigned. I was like, I'm done. That's my job done. I go and do something else now. And they were like, no, 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 stay. Now the CIO is done. How do yeah. we engage at the CEO level? How do we create a CEO level relationship? Now, of course, any tech company is selling products, which you sell it to the, the instant, the immediate user, so the head of sales or whatever. But Salesforce is very interested in becoming a technology provider to you know the largest organizations in the world and the most uh, and a, at a strategic level. And that meant moving away from products, you know, feature benefit selling to um strategic engagement and um and that was my next thing was like how to how could we help salesforce really become a strategic partner to companies okay. yeah. um, but at a certain point you said okay uh, I, i've done it all i'm gonna leave now is this a decision which gradually grows on you or you just did you wake up in the morning and said look i'm done no I've, i mean after 14 years and i had so many different roles at salesforce uh, interesting roles from setting up financial services industry and building the, the financial services cloud to uh, being chief marketing officer and doing the, the brand reinvention of Salesforce to uh, being chief innovation officer. In each of those roles, incredibly exciting. And during COVID, what became very, very clear was that so many of Salesforce's customers were looking at Salesforce, not just as a technology provider, but also as a guide, like how do you respond to COVID? There's so much um, yeah. fear and like, what do we do? And how are you, and Salesforce seemed to be responding very well. And so we built a, a COVID response playbook and we okay. spent a lot of time talking to customers, helping them understand what to do, how to think about their COVID uh, response. And a lot of things were, became very clear. One of the things was, of course, you've got to listen very carefully to your customers and engage them more aggressively than even before. Listen like you've never listened to your customers. But equally, you've got to do the same for your employees. And 
while organizations think they do that, they do a very bad job of both, really. So really amplify both of those. But that was not enough. There was another thing you also had to do, um, which was really reinvent how you make decisions. Okay, can, can, but then, uh, um, you triggered me. Can you give an example or can you explain what the difference is between assuming you're listening and really listening? How do how does that manifest itself? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of companies have great relationships with their customers mm -hmm. because their customers buy from them and they think, well, they're paying me money, therefore they must love what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, whereas that that payment is kind of the last um, transaction. Yeah. How are you really understanding how, the evolution of your customers' needs? Are you engaging? Are you asking those? Are you asking your customers? Tell me about the product. How is it actually working for you? How could we improve? And unless you're doing that, you're only seeing the relationship with your between your company and your customers through a lens of a financial transaction. The, your customers can give you so much more information around what's working with your product, what's not working, what you need to do next, or the things that you're doing badly from a service perspective, or other other options that they were also considering and nearly did go with were it not for some small thing about yours. Okay. And do you really understand that? And could you have a systematic way of listening to your customers? That's needed at the, at the best of times. During COVID, where your relationship with your customers gets even more um, stretched, you've got to double down like that like never before. And most organizations instead went into a state of shock and didn't listen to, listen to the customers even less. And quite the opposite was needed. Yeah. The more you can hug your customers, the more you can put in place programs. At Salesforce, we had like a million calls. Was it a million calls? It was... It was I can't remember what it was. There was a, a number that we had of calls that we were going to, and we tracked it. And we wanted our salespeople who were like, oh, I don't, I'm not sure whether I should speak to my com my yeah. customer. It was like, no, get out of there, speak yeah. to them. Nobody else is speaking to them. You should be speaking to them. Now, Simon, uh, when I hear you describe uh, what's actually just a, a quite, quite a recent situation, uh, I'm hearing a former chief marketing officer, uh, to some extent, even a chief innovation officer, uh, and that's why I was so surprised. Uh, I mean, it does explain what you're doing right now, but I just, just introduced that because I was just trying to figure out when you were at Salesforce as a chief innovation officer of Salesforce, you proclaimed we need a, an, an acro entrepreneur revolution. Now, yes. uh, okay, I understand. Uh, to, okay, I'll stand that, but how can you make that statement that was actually on quite a big stage i believe for the world economic forum um, as a chief innovation officer of salesforce i would assume that your responsibility is innovating the Salesforce products and services and not talking about the, the climate change so um did mark uh, benioff allow you to talk about this or did he frown upon this no he loved this mark yeah. benioff is a yeah. very very passionate believer in innovation at all levels. And he also believes that <clears throat> um, that business is the greatest platform for change. Okay. And that every business in order to be successful cannot only be successful by being perfect in its products and its services at the core to it, but it also needs to be a servant to society and to the planet that we live on. Our planet is as equally as, a, as much a stakeholder. And that if you do that well, 
and communicate that well, but you do it with the highest level of trust and integrity, then you will be rewarded in the market by um, the right talent flowing to you and the right customers um, uh, staying with you. It's um, an important part of, of Salesforce's strategy. And so um, over the years, uh, since its inception, in fact, 1% of, of Salesforce's time, equity and product has, given, has been given to charity since Salesforce was founded. Okay. Now, and that's an enormous amount of money. And But that's part of this whole thing. Okay. Now, that's the Salesforce strategy. That's maybe Mark Benioff's uh, influence. But how did you as an individual when did uh start when did you did you start to pay notice when did you start to be an advocate for uh yeah this revolution you talked about so then as we were going through <clears throat> even before covid more and more programs that salesforce was supporting as part of its commitment to you know society and nature um involved a program called a trillion trees where we work very closely with the World Economic Forum on a program to find a trillion trees. There are there used to be six trillion trees on the planet. We've cut um, uh, we've cut three trillion down. We need a one trillion more trees, like empirically stated, and um, and we partner with the World Economic Forum to make that public and available. So we were talking about that type of thing already. It's a big program um, that the World Economic Forum got very excited about around um um around uh entrepreneurs that we have a lot of people talking at the highest level about climate and business and and it's this it's the grass tops but the grassroots the young people the people who the entrepreneurs they don't have access to the act the capital they don't have access to the rules changes the regulations changes and yet these people at the grassroots feel more passion for fixing the problems than in many cases, the people at the grass tops. So how do you connect the grassroots people to the grass tops? There's a program that Klaus Schwab, the chairman and founder of the World Economic Forum called Uplink. And Mark was a passionate supporter of that. And uh, and I got called in to really uh, help supercharge that. And who are the grassroots people? Yeah. These are ecopreneurs. These are, these are entrepreneurs who leap out of bed at four in the morning, passionately thinking of nothing but how can we help fix this mess? How do we help fix the planet? Now, now I have to already ask you, um, so who are your role models? Uh, it's, it's, it, you, it's assuming that when you talk about this, is, it, is, the, is the planet, is nature a role model for you or are the people uh, in this position? Um, it's, it's kind of a hard question to ask. There's so many people that I look to for inspiration, including Mark Benioff, but uh, individual leaders who are just doing the thing, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And it's not just because it makes, um, you know, short-term uh, returns. I'm deeply um, inspired by all of the climate professionals that I've met, the climate scientists who've spent a career dedicated to helping more people understand the reality of what's happening i'm equally inspired by you know leaders of of businesses who are who whose focus is only on trying to fix the planet um political leaders who are trying to push this uh, this agenda too so um all of these are are incredibly inspiring people who are 
servant leaders. They are not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the problem and how everything that they have and can do can can support uh, progress. Okay. Now, f- before we move to what you're currently are doing, in the meantime, because you work for time at the moment, and if I look at all the organizations you've worked for, these are iconic organizations, very large brand recognition. Now, was this uh, a coincidence or was it planned from your perspective? Um, yeah, from your no, perspective. It wasn't, <laughs> no, it wasn't planned. Uh, uh, yeah, I, honestly, one thing has led to the next. Yeah. Honestly, I, I've there have been very few instances where I've actually, the only time I really applied for a job was to get into the army. Okay. Um, and and then and then um and then to uh, join the world economic forum i applied online um everything else has been one thing has just led to the next okay so um would that mean that once you work for these big household brands you 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 could end up in like a rabbit hole moving from one big corporate brand to the other or potentially maybe and and by the way i mean the the idea was not to do that the idea was what was just what's the next big thing that i can do to to create the greatest impact bearing in mind who i am what i have what connections i have and in in many cases there's a logical next step so i've honestly just made logical next steps the um Mark Benioff was approached me when I was at Salesforce and said, like, how do you fancy leaving Salesforce? Come and join me. Let's build a business yeah. focusing on fixing the planets. And it just so happens that as we were going through COVID and I at Salesforce as chief innovation officer was finding, I was spending a lot of time as we were talking to companies about the best thing they could do to really respond to COVID was one of the things was you've got to have a much clearer um, social engagement strategy. You've got to be, you know, a company that serves the planet as well. And during COVID, it became ever more clear that we had a planetary climate crisis and that every business was also being judged on its credentials around that. Were you paying attention to that and, and actively, you know, changing your business to be more climate friendly or not? And, you know, I believed at the time that it was very important that, that businesses take this seriously and didn't greenwash around it. Mm-hmm. And as we were speaking to more of those companies, we built great partnerships with organizations like Accenture. Um, it became clear that the big companies had big teams focusing on this. But most companies, even mid-sized companies, they don't have a large team. You've got the CEO, CFO, and CMO looking at each other going, I don't know what to do, do you? I don't know. I know a background in climate science. And so how are most organizations, most businesses on the planet expected to truly respond um, positively to enormous change without the requisite skills? Well, you could ask them to go and read all of the PDFs that have been written, but that's not really a strategy. No, it's, it's not, it's, it's super difficult. And we haven't done a good job as a planet of connecting climate action to business value. It's it's basically been um, the doom and gloom of, of climate action is well described in, in, in media, but equally what's also very well described is who's getting it wrong. And so we've created in the world of media, in the world of business, a really complex topic that's not described particularly 
simply, and one where it's actually scary to poke your head above the parapet because if, as soon as you try and talk about you're doing something, you get criticized as greenwashing. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's actually easier and safer to do nothing sometimes than to actually move forward. And that's a terrible situation we've got ourselves into. We need to break out of that. Business needs to see business value in climate action. Okay. And is this where CO2.com comes in play? Exactly. That's exactly it. And so we can leverage the full power of Time, which is a hundred-year-old media brand, which is innovating on every level, incredible people, uh, studios, business, uh, all types of communications tools and partnerships. And then we've brought in an army of amazing climate experts from pulled from some of the best NGOs in the world. We've partnered with some of the most incredible um, uh, universities um, uh, and, and we have some of the most incredible climate scientists who are formal advisors to us. So we've really now built world-class climate credentials. So marry that to a well-respected 100-year-old media brand. And that's an interesting capability. Yeah. And okay. our job. Uh, yeah. Good. To what extent uh, do you accept that? Uh, and I'm just speaking for myself. Um, I did not associate time with climate change in the way you describe it. So, so um, Yeah. Is this, Every, is, so is it uh, is this time reinventing itself as an organization, or uh, so so I'm trying try, trying to find uh, what's the rationale behind that for time to doing this? So time has been was one of the earliest actually uh, media brands to really come out uh, um, aggressively in favor of climate action okay. decades ago, um, but like every organization. It's not a question now of of talking about it. It's about doing. And so, um, Mark and Lynn Benioff, the owners of of Time, were very passionate that that Time should be counted for for championing action. And and so, not just reporting the news, but more enabling others to actually act. And one of the biggest problems with climate isn't the lack of information isn't the lack of facts, isn't the lack even of um, subsidies like the Inflation Reduction Act, it's the fact that most people don't know, the fact that most people are never going to find the information. It's a communication problem. So having a communications expert organization dedicated to helping uh, you know, individuals and business leaders and companies themselves move confidently, big part of it is a communications challenge. So we've got a big part of who we are yep. is be the biggest champion for climate action. Make it really clear what the average company can do to move confidently on their climate journey. Tell the story of companies who are on that journey. Break down what they did right so that others can learn from and copy those people, number one. But number two is there are a number of things that we also believe every company should do. Every company is also got to support nature we can fix every company you know and reduce the carbon footprint if we do that it'd be great we will build the ark but we will have no animals or trees or plants to put on the ark unless we also solve them save them as well we cannot get to net zero without nature and we are cutting down trees destroying ecosystems 
killing off biodiversity at a rate which is scary. And every company should also be implicated in protecting um, nature. And so we have a whole, we've built a whole ultimate back office, which goes out and finds the very best projects in the world and scrutinizes them for quality. Um, in the carbon markets, for example, there is an enormous lack of um, quality. A lot of reports written recently showing that over 90% of carbon credits are junk. So it's very difficult for companies to know which projects to support. And so we've built kind of the ultimate back office with the world's top scientists to go and do all of that, that thousands of hours of work so that a company doesn't have to. All a company needs to do if they want to go and support the very best climate, nature, and climate justice programs is fund the time CO2 climate uh, portfolio, the planet portfolio. We've done all of the work. We've built like the ultimate kind of uh, high trust portfolio. So In the same way that if you were to if you were to invest in the stock market, you wouldn't go and just randomly invest in a, you know, whatever stock your friend told you over dinner, you would go and work with a mutual fund manager and you would expect them to do enormous amounts of research on your behalf and not just give you one stock, but to give you a balanced portfolio. So we've done all of that in the context of uh, climate action. Now, well, um, I would say kudos, because you actually, you've driven this, the whole CO2.com uh, movement. So it's you who did this? Yeah, and an amazing team. I, I, my yeah. team is is the is the genius, the secret source, okay. not me. Okay. Uh, well, it says a lot about your leadership that you uh, give them all the credit. Um, now, this information uh, is that going to be publicly available to anybody who is interested, or do you how how are you going to disseminate? How can people access that information? Very soon, you're going to see uh, an explosion of very, very exciting things. We are, um, we've got in April the 25th is the Time 100 and Time CO2 Earth Awards uh, event, and and around that you will see a very, very exciting beginnings of of uh, of us going out with this. We only launched the whole thing in September last year. So everything's been happening very, very quickly. But this year is a very, very big year for us to launch. And we're working really hard behind the scenes now on identifying the right partners. So to people out there who are interested in being a champion for climate, um, we're interested to speak to organizations like that right now who are thematically wanting to, you know, they don't nobody should be positioning themselves as a leader in climate action right now. If you see you position yourself as a leader, you will be taken down by everybody who is looking for a greenwasher. We need champions, organizations who believe uh, and leaders who believe in, in, in climate action and want to make it easier for everyone to move on that journey. We need those champions. So we're, we're working very closely with them and, uh, and that will give us a big thematic uh, approach and you'll see that come out over the next few months in a very exciting way. And then in parallel, we believe every company should also be funding climate action. And um, we've just made it really easy to do that properly. So go to co2.com and you know fund a climate uh, action program. Contact me at simon at co2.com and I'll personally help. Hey, that's a promise. We'll make certain that that message gets out. Now, a, 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 
we're almost running out of time. You got so much to share, Simon. Um, just wondering, what are the key milestones, uh, the three key milestones in your career so far? The three key milestones. Um, I think number one would be uh, going to uh, university or, or college, as they call it in the US, where I learned how to synthesize an enormous amount of information into something simple. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much, how important that is, has been in my career. The ability to take a large amount of information, distill it and communicate it in a simple way. Unfortunately, too much of our world is is um, complicated and we need to make it easier. So that was number, that would be number one. Number two, I think working at the World Economic Forum, where I worked with some of the most incredibly inspiring people and taught me that a career... Uh, the best career wasn't one where you just went off into the world of business and earned lots of money, but uh, the best career was one where you were um, understanding the biggest issues facing society and our planet and um, pitting the very best minds um, against it. And I think the World Economic Forum really stood for that. And the whole idea of um, uh, multi-stakeholder engagement is incredibly important. And then I think the third was was obviously being at just at Salesforce and uh, being in an organization that um, kept me in a job for two, three years, then moved me on into the next one and kept me constantly living in a state of permanent fear um, and um, and outside of my comfort zone. So I was perpetually feeling like I had to be learning in order to survive another day. You've implied already a number of good uh, takeaways for people listening to your interview. I mean, you've you've. Uh, it's it's an amazing journey so far. Um, can you look beyond uh, com, or is this going to be, is this the last stop for you? Um, it, it, no matter what, what I do, uh, where, I'm, I'm, where I'm living, when I left the army, people are like, do you miss that? I'm always deeply involved in what I'm doing and the right time will come where you know, I've built an amazing team that that no longer need me and and they do better without me, in which case I will move on at that moment to the next thing. Um, I I honestly believe the 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 calling of someone is not to achieve great milestones. And you know, I really feel that the best thing you can do is um build a team of amazing people that make you irrelevant. So uh, as soon as I'm irrelevant. Uh, and I hope it's as, as soon as I can do that, the faster I can do it, the better. Then um, they'll push me out and I'll move on to something else. Already some great advice. What's the, you could, uh, to the young people and the young and the, the people who are just starting out on their journey, um, what would your advice be? Anything else to add to what you just uh, shared with us? I'd say, say yes. And then figure it out afterwards. Learn. If you don't know, doesn't matter. You figure it out. But it's amazing. When I was in the army, I learned early on, painfully, just how um, how when you're doing very, very intense physical effort, your mind says, "Oh, you've done this. You cannot go any further." And you have have absolutely no idea of what your body is capable of, and that. You, should, you can keep going and you can surprise yourself by how amazing your body is. And the only thing preventing you is some limit that was written and drawn in your mind that you just need to get, get rid of that. Your mind is 
telling you to stop way before you can. And so a large part of why people say no and limit themselves to what they can do is because they don't feel they're able to do it. They, they don't feel confident enough. Put yourself in a, in a situation and fight your way out and you'll prove to yourself just how amazing you are um, and how much you can actually achieve. And that's not just for yourself. It's for people who work for you, your team. They're all amazing people who can do a lot more than they think they can. Help them see that about themselves. And if you're focusing less on yourself and more on others, you'll be an amazing leader. Simon, that's great advice to a, in a great interview. I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights. I'm going to wish you well with SEO.com and definitely go to watch out on the news, which is going to come out in April. So thank you again. Thank you very much, Fritz. It's a pleasure to meet you and speak to you on this. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.